growing up i was not really in the kitchen much i started cooking and baking only when i was about to go to grad school ajit bhaskar is a food process engineer and an avid runner that's where i realized that i need to have uh, cooking and that's where i appreciate that cooking is actually more or less an essential life skill as opposed to you know just kind of randomly throwing things around and expecting your food to magically look great ajit is well known for his run for tindi columns where he documents how he sweetens his long distance runs across bengaluru city with a nice tindi or south indian breakfast this whole dashini culture that is probably my favorite part about bangalore in addition to the weather of course i had started running about i don't know 7 8 years ago so then i realized why not use a darshini as some sort of a carrot and just run towards that carrot and at the end of my run enjoy a good breakfast and that way i get to sample different places and eat different kinds of things thanks to this whole journey along the way i've also made some very good friends ajit lives in whitefield an eastern suburb well now a suburb it was its own township until not long ago and one of the things he found was that many of his colleagues did not explore the city as he did a lot of my colleagues in office they have not ventured beyond marathali so their view of bangalore is very very different you know they think that bangalore is the city that doesn't wake up before 9 am and everything opens at 10 am and closes by 3 so i told them you know saturday be ready at 6 o'clock in the morning i'm going to show you the real part of bangalore so we drove all the way to basmanapudi and i showed it you know so these are different types of doses because the first thing that i learned in bangalore is that uh, paper masala is not the only form of dosa on earth this is bangalore and we drove past basmanapudi at 7:30 all the darshinis are like full of people and she was shocked she was like what is going on here the larger point here is that so bangalore actually has lot of these silos unfortunately or fortunately because it's a huge city so area wise bangalore is massive and to get out of whitefield itself is an adventure now having been to all these older parts of bangalore has given me the exposure as well as the appreciation living in whitefield the first thing i realized is that i know what i am missing Welcome to Uru, a podcast that talks to Bengaluru citizens about how they are addressing sustainability in their city. I'm your host Manasi Pingre and I work with the Bengaluru Sustainability Forum, an inter-institutional initiative to foster conversations, build bridges and encourage interdisciplinary collaborations working towards Bengaluru's sustainable future. is brought to you by the Bengaluru Sustainability Forum and Vaka Media. In this episode, we are exploring food, health and equity in Bengaluru. Food and equal access to food features across a number of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals or SDGs, not just SDG2, whose goal is to end hunger. achieve food security and improve nutrition and promote sustainable agriculture we have sdg1 which focuses on ending poverty and this includes food assistance and targeted food assistance 
which is very similar to the food and nutrition delivered through the Integrated Child Development Services in India. Food is also relevant to the third SDG on well-being because our diets affect our health. And we are not forgetting SDG 14 that deals with fish and life underwater. In big cities with large diverse populations, all of these SDGs intersect as demands, preferences and needs determine what and how we consume. For a city supposedly named after a story about boiled beans, Bengaluru is pretty low-key about its food reputation. Boiled beans may not sound like the most interesting thing in the world, but Bengaluru is very much a great food city. Yes, we are known for 99 dosa trucks, great food streets and amazing produce-themed festivals. Mangoes, peanuts, millets, beans, you name it, it has a festival. The changing hinterland around the city from where most of the food we eat comes from suffers from water scarcity, climate change and land use change as the city has grown and grown. Bengaluru is perhaps one of the first cities in the country to have an extensive local organic movement, organic shops at every corner and farmer-producer brands that promote local foods and restaurants and more recently restaurants that promote eating local. Meet Anvita a young entrepreneur and food enthusiast from Bengaluru. Before setting up the chain of restaurants, Anvita lived outside of India, studied computer science, but wanted to come back and start a restaurant and a space that had sustainability at its core. Dr. Veena Srinivasan is a BSF steering committee member and the director of the Center for Social and Environmental Innovation at the Ashoka Trust for Research on Ecology and the Environment. Veena chats with Anvita about the challenges of making local food aspirational. It's a real pleasure to have you as part of the podcast and maybe a good way for us to start is firstly have us hear a little bit about yourself and then we'll talk about, you know, the stuff that you've been doing in the vision and so on. I'm Anvita. I'm the founder of Go Native. The farm to table restaurant and the retail space is, has everything from personal care to food to apparel and accessories. The goal is to kind of make sustainable living or conscious consumption accessible and affordable as much as possible for everyone. And so tell us a little bit about your process of sourcing. Where do you get it? How do you ensure that sustainability? And then what are some of the compromises? And then what are some of the non-negotiables that you have? So the core things that we would not compromise on is sourcing. We get it from Back to Basics and then we get it from Gramina Angri, like the, the grains and the pulses and the fresh vegetables from Back to Basics. So I want to be clear about where I'm getting what from. And if, I, if for example, some things are not available at Back to Basics, we get it at Good Old Grains. So I think we have three people um, that we're interacting with on a constant basis and we want to limit it to kind of three people that we're getting our produce from. So I think a large part of our thing as a brand is to kind of stick to our basics, which is sourcing and making sure that the people who are working with us, who are part of our team, kind of understand the values that we're standing for and don't take shortcuts in what is important to us internally as a brand and also communicate that effectively with all the customers who come in. One of the big divides is that is moving people from just thinking about health and nutrition, which is a very personal benefit, to thinking about food as sustainability, which is really about for my personal health as well as for the planet. I mean, you know, it's a dual benefit. And, and that's a much more complicated message. 
there are three segments i think one that really is dedicated to this space works in this space and is like understands all aspects of this right and there is a second part that is curious about this space that wants to know more that's inclined and i think this is the broader part of the population they want to try it if it's accessible to them they want to make the change it's a population that we are all targeting and this is a part of the population that doesn't work in this space they have a hundred other things going on in their life they don't have time to process every part of it if you make it simple and understandable for them to kind of buy into smaller parts of it they will make that change because they believe that they need to make the change they just don't have the time to think about all the aspects of it which is in today's kind of day and age where everyone has a hundred things to like look at and work on it's understandable and there's another part of the population that kind of thinks all of this is like a farce and none of this is worth it and that we cannot address at this moment right whether you're talking about the farmer or the weaver like the story is important but it but the story that needs to be repeated multiple times by multiple in multiple different avenues for someone to really kind of absorb it because even for me i think i took it was not just like one aha moment it was different times when i understood different parts of it right so we also have like a cluster in kabini where we use banana fiber patte to make bags so i was trying for the longest time to find a banana fiber growers there but you need to use only elaki banana which is one particular kind of native banana but everyone has switched to this other hybrid kind of banana and i'm finding finding it very difficult to source the patte uh, so i was talking to someone there the hybrid kind of banana you get the fruit in i think less than 6 or 7 months or like something like that right and the natural kind takes far longer and for this farmer who needs to kind of make his money for for himself today tomorrow in the next few months you really need to be able to communicate the value to the consumer to pay him more because he's putting a lot more of his time and effort so i think that is kind of also a very important part of what we need to do as brands that are more consumer facing is being able to tell that story and being able to convince consumers that it's an important thing to spend more money on your food this is the most integral part of what you're what you need in a day and you should be able to spend more than like 18 rupees for a kg of tomatoes right i mean that's like an understandable ask for most people and for anybody growing it it's what's required because of what time and effort they're putting into it my name is devik and i'm in grade 5 today i'm going to be telling you about my favorite food and lily's favorite food so my favorite food/meal is dal makhani paneer tikka and sizzle brownie my least favorite food is khichdi and sushi thank you so where does bengaluru get its food from in spite of the growing awareness about food especially driven by concerns over health and well-being most people are not very aware of where their food actually comes from namaste this is maltesh here i am part of a organization which is a, a initiative to help farmers to get better prices for their produce we asked maltesh to talk to some of the farmers he works with about what it is like to grow food for the city namaskar anilore namaskar sir bengaluru gramantra jille devanalli taluku avathi grama sir iga and 10 varshadinda savayo krishiyalli savayo krishi maartta idini tarkari belegalu namdu mukhya belegalagi ಹಾಗಾಗಿ ಇದೇ ಕೃಷಿಯಲ್ಲಿ ಇನ್ನು ಹಾಗೆ ಮುಂದುವರ್ಸ್ಕೊಂಡು ಹೋಗ್ತಾ ಇದ್ರಿ ಸರ್ ನಾನು ಮೂಲತಃ ಕೃಷಿ ಕುಟುಂಬನಾಗಿದ್ರು ಸಹ ಕೃಷಿಯಲ್ಲಿ ಅಷ್ಟೊಂದು ಆಸಕ್ತಿನೂ ಇರ್ಲಿಲ್ಲ ಅದ್ರ ಬಗ್ಗೆ ಅನುಭವನೂ ಇರ್ಲಿಲ್ಲ ಒಂದು ಪುಸ್ತಕನ ಓದಿ
ಒನ್ಸ್ಟಾರ್ ರೆವಲ್ಯೂಷನ್ ಅನ್ನೋ ಒಂದು ಪುಸ್ತಕನ ಓದಿ ಪ್ರಕೃತಿನಲ್ಲಿ ಇಷ್ಟೆಲ್ಲ ಇರಬೇಕಾದ್ರೆ ನಾವು ಮಾಡ್ತಾ ಇರೋದು ಏನೇನೋ ಅಲ್ಲ ಅಂತ ಅಂದ್ಕೊಂಡು ಅದ್ರ ಬಗ್ಗೆ ಗಮನ ಕೊಟ್ಟು ಬದಲಾವಣೆಗಳು ಮಾಡ್ಕೋತಾ ಬಂದ್ರೆ ಆನಂತರ ಈ ಅದ್ರ ಬಗ್ಗೆ ಸಾವಯವ ಕೃಷಿ ನ್ಯಾಚುರಲ್ ಫಾರ್ಮಿಂಗ್ ಬಗ್ಗೆ ಸ್ವಲ್ಪ ಆಸಕ್ತಿ ಮೂಡ್ತಾ ಹೋಗುತ್ತೆ ಸರ್ ಸಮಸ್ಯೆ ಅನ್ನೋದಕ್ಕೆ ಎಲ್ಲನೂದ್ರಲ್ಲೂ ಎಲ್ಲಾ ತರವಾಗೂ ಸಮಸ್ಯೆಗಳಿದೆ ದೊಡ್ಡದಾಗಿ ಅಂತ ಏನು ಹೇಳಕ್ಕಾಗಲ್ಲ ಕಡೆ ಲೇಬರ್ ಸಮಸ್ಯೆ ಇದೆ ಒಂದ್ ಕಡೆ ನೀರಿನ ಸಮಸ್ಯೆ ಇದೆ ಮಾರ್ಕೆಟಿಂಗ್ ಸಮಸ್ಯೆ ಇದೆ ಅದ್ರಲ್ಲಿ ಆರ್ಗ್ಯಾನಿಕ್ ಅಲ್ಲಿ ಬೆಳೀತಾ ಇರೋದ್ರಿಂದ ಮಾರ್ಕೆಟಿಂಗ್ ಮೇಜರ್ ಸಮಸ್ಯೆ ಹಂಗಾಗಿ ಎಲ್ಲಾ ತರದ ಸಮಸ್ಯೆಗಳು ಇದಾವೆ ಸರ್ ಏನು ಇಲ್ಲ ಅಂತ ಹೇಳಕ್ ಬರಲ್ಲ ಸರ್ ಗ್ರಾಹಕರು ಈಗ ನ್ಯಾಚುರಲ್ ಫಾರ್ಮರ್ ಮತ್ತೆ ಕೆಮಿಕಲ್ ಫಾರ್ಮಿಂಗ್ ಸಾಕು ಸರ್ ನಾವೇನು ಎಫರ್ಟ್ ಹಾಕೋದೇ ಬೇಕಾಗಿಲ್ಲ ಕೃಷಿನ್ ಬಿಟ್ಟು ಕೃಷಿಯೇತರವಾಗಿ ಬೇರೆ ಏನನ್ನು ನಾನು ಈವರೆಗೂ ನಾನು ಗಮನಿಸೇ ಇಲ್ಲ ಗಮನಿಸಕ್ಕೆ ಹೋಗಿಲ್ಲ ಕೃಷಿನೇ ಮೂಲವಾಗಿಟ್ಕೊಂಡೇ ಜೀವನ ಮಾಡ್ತಾ ಇರೋಂತ ವ್ಯಕ್ತಿ ನಾವು ನಮ್ಮೇನೆ ಯಾವ್ದು ಇನ್ಕಮ್ ಸೋರ್ಸ್ ಯಾವ್ದು ಇಲ್ಲ ನಾವು ಲ್ಯಾಂಡ್ ಮಾರಿದಾಗ್ಲಿ ಬಾಡಿಗೆಗಳಾಗ್ಲಿ ಬೇರೆ ಯಾವ್ದೋ ತಂದೆ ತಾಯಿಗಳು ಮಾಡಿಟ್ಟಿರೋ ಆಸ್ತಿ ಪಾಸ್ತಿಗಳ ಬಗ್ಗೆ ಗಮನ ಇಲ್ಲ ದುಡಿತ ಅಂದ್ರೆ ಆರ್ಗ್ಯಾನಿಕ್ ಫಾರ್ಮಿಂಗ್ ಮಾಡ್ತಾ ಇದ್ರೆ ಅದು ಜನಗ ಅರ್ವ ಆದ್ರೆ ಸಾಕಾಗಿದೆ ಅದಕ್ಕೆ ಒಳ್ಳೆ ಮಾರ್ಕೆಟ್ ಇದೆ ಮಾರ್ಕೆಟ್ ಅಂತಂದ್ರೆ ದುಡ್ಡು ಬರುವ ಮಾರ್ಕೆಟ್ ಅಲ್ಲ ಆರೋಗ್ಯನೂ ಉಳಿಯುತ್ತೆ ಜೊತೆಗೆ ನಮ್ಗೂನು ಒಂದು ವ್ಯವಸ್ಥೆಯನ್ನು ಒಂದು ಸರಿ ಹೋಗುತ್ತೆ ಅಂತ ನನ್ನ ಆಸೆ Being a food writer, Ajit thinks a lot about how the perennial availability of vegetables has changed what we eat. See, I realized that agriculture has fundamentally changed. So when I was growing up, there used to be summer vegetables and there used to be winter vegetables. So I can't imagine getting green capsicum in summer at all. That used to be an exclusively winter vegetable. So I used to look forward to it. I mean, growing up, yeah, I didn't have very diverse taste. So it's like this, I... i used to call same old useless bhindi tinda and potatoes all the useless vegetables were in summer whereas winter is where all the fun vegetables were like your cauliflower those carrots and capsicum uh, now things have changed of course but having said that still there are a lot of elements of seasonality that we have managed to retain this uh, avarekalu being a good example especially near harvest season my understanding from what i know little is the price of the regular pulses goes up your tuber dals etc because apparently it's time to harvest them so lot of bandwidth goes towards that therefore people start using all these avare bele ikkin bele in their sambars and saru and all that sort of stuff so there is a very rational reason so you eat what's available at that time i think in big cities of course it's going to be a bit of a challenge because you the the awareness and the availability is round the clock So what kind of load are you putting on the environment to get the stuff? Somehow there's a sense that all efforts at sustainability should be done by someone else. And the idea of a smart city or the planning for the city somehow seems to be only everything that increases conveniences for the middle class. while expecting and putting huge demands on the other people who live in the city this is dr silvia karpagam a public health doctor and researcher from bengaluru and she has been studying nutrition and health for a long time especially child nutrition we asked her to share her thoughts on how we could create more equitable food systems in the city so encouraging local markets is really important and we should encourage not just fruits and vegetables but all kinds of food and we should move away from pushing for a very homogeneous quote unquote uh, pure kind of foods and look at diversity it's definitely much more sustainable 
in the long run for the city. The other thing is to encourage seasonal foods. Like we have a tradition of pickles, like all kinds of foods. I think this can be encouraged at the local level, like even within the city, small industries or people in their homes to be encouraged to preserve some of these foods. And I think that is a very sustainable model in the long run. If you look at a lot of the middle class, they want to buy foods which they think is healthy for them without considering the cost of transporting it, say, imported foods. You want to have a high-protein diet and therefore you want to eat uh, almonds imported from California, but then you don't want a poultry shop uh, in your area or you don't want a meat shop in your area. In Bangalore, there's a lot of food wastage and I think people should learn to eat more frugally, eat like seasonal foods. And we buy into a lot of Western notions of convenience without realizing that there are consequences in terms of environment. Again, if you look at the economics of it, it's not cost effective. And nutritionally also, it is not as beneficial as having a diverse or a nutrient-dense diet. We need to really visit, revisit like where we procure our foods from and where we buy our foods from how it is transported. And this whole idea of imitating what's happening in the West, this this whole supermarket culture, I think those are uh, actually threats to food sustainability in India. Incorporating local ingredients, seasonal ingredients, automatically brings in that element of sustainability. And uh, not to mention, put a different spin on it and make your palate that much more diverse. So if we... If we fix that, you know, okay, this dish is supposed to be like that, uh, which is, and, and we call it authentic. So, so that's the other term that I find very, very fuzzy. Like, uh, you know, authentic thing is supposed to be like this. I mean, I can't imagine cuisine today without uh, potatoes, tomatoes, none of which existed 200 years ago. So, so what am I to understand that 200 years ago, we didn't eat good food? Absolutely not. The concept of authenticity evolves with time. To me, you just adapt to what is local and what is seasonal these days. It's as simple as that. I am going to Suresh Kumar is a visual artist and teacher who is somewhat of an ecological pioneer. He comes from the outskirts of Sarjapur, the neighborhood that is more well known for its density of IT companies and giant gated communities than local food. Suresh grows and revives local seasonal herbs and vegetables and challenges the notions of what we consider food and what we should consider as food, especially those varieties that are foraged and aren't commercially popular. So when I was doing terrace gardening at my home, so I happened to see this uh, lot of uh, wild uh, edible weeds and also wild vegetables like turkeyberries, etc. That would come up with uh, manure, either from the sheep manure or cottage manure when the sheep grazed around in the open fields and all. So that was during that phase that I used to visit uh, my relatives regularly around the Sarjapra and I used to see that how uh, 
the traditional knowledge has been now not in practice for various reasons. They're not foraging because of the time or they're too busy or uh, there's no pristine, clean spaces around their houses or farms because a lot of herbicides are sprayed in the in the farms or the, there's a change in landscape, a lot of constructions happening around and also a lot of areas like the streets have been cemented now and things like that. That I also see that there is a decline in like like people having kitchen gardens around their houses. So that's when actually I proposed uh, this archiving both the knowledge-wise and also the plants itself and the seeds you know, of these varieties and things like which is in wild to be adopted into a, a kind of an ab- a urban context or a, what we call as urban gardening. So it, we happen to make a nursery and kind of a bring this awareness both in practical sense of growing them and making this available as a as a living museum or as a living seed bank. So now at this phase, now Sarjapra Curries is now housed in a farm uh, nearby Sarjapra, and we wanted to scale up to a farm scale so that other farmers around can see the possibilities to grow as much as possible this edible wild uh, weeds and also like wild vegetables phase now that uh, we have been like trying to inspire some small farmers around and of course the first phase we focused on more on uh, kitchen gardening and also urban gardening like there are also a lot of uh, communities around Sarjapra people living in villas and apartments so we also have a small whatsapp group where we also sell out produce uh, little produce around and also we share the knowledge and also share the recipes so there's this kind of dichotomy between these exotic foods, which are highly aspirational, and then comfort foods, which are traditional and, and, and local. And what you're actually doing is kind of bridging that gap in some way where you're making these traditional foods or at least traditional ingredients aspirational. To that extent, it's not just uh, us. I think that there are a lot of brands, a lot of like uh, restaurants, especially focused on millets, right, that have started that are across all ends of the spectrum, that are catering to different ends of the spectrum and are kind of making this traditional food cool again, for lack of a better word. Food has always come with, embedded with its own hierarchies and its own, whether you want to call it prejudices or histories or whatever it is, that may be contested and more complicated. But I think that there's a difference between food as a cultural experience and then ingredients, which is which is different. So when we're talking about sourcing locally, I think one of the ways in which you break it is exactly by doing the ragi pizza kind of thing, because then it's it's breaking down the, the traditional stigma which people might have had for ragi, and then breaking down that class association with it, right? And, and I think that modernizing it in some way helps that. And, and for those who might be, you know, traditionalists, of course, we all want to keep the traditional meal, but, but if we didn't eat like this, or even with the ingredients that we consider as part of a traditional meal, we didn't even eat that way like a few thousand years ago, or let alone a few, maybe not even a few hundred years ago. And so food has always kind of evolved over time. And all we are saying is there's certainly no harm in experimentation and trying new things with ingredients. And so as long as we keep that compass of what is it that we're trying to achieve, which is basically nourishing our body safeguarding the planet and what what is it that goes into making that and then I think that breaking down some of those barriers actually helps where do you find the, the line between traditional and modernization and I think some modernization is good and in fact the beauty of it is there's so much diversity right uh, food sustainability is basically you ensure food that is nutritionally adequate is nutritionally dense 
it meets the needs of the city if we're talking about Bangalore city, uh, while also reducing wastage and not affecting climate in an adverse way, like minimum impact on the climate, adverse impact on the climate. And within the city, I think we do have culturally, we do have a lot of things in place that we should actually acknowledge uh, as being part of the process of food sustainability. So for example, if you look at street foods, that's a huge cultural aspect of India and it's so diverse. It's it's hot food prepared locally uh, using local ingredients and there's diversity. So if you go out for street food, like you can have a range of food. If you go out, say, with your children, the children understand different foods, different cultures. They also get to meet people and it's a very important culture that should should be sustained. This idea of a smart city somehow means removing all of these things which have traditionally been there and which have been giving livelihood to a lot of people and it's part of the diverse uh, culture of Bangalore. I think those things have to be supported. Of course, there is a need for things like hygiene and ensuring that there's uh, clean water and a disposal of the you know food waste in an appropriate manner. The solution to that is not to eliminate these but to support them. What I really like is pizza, macaroni and cheese, bacon pasta and butter chicken. The food I really hate are all kinds of vegetables except kurkuri bhindi. And the vegetable that I hate most is broccoli. For the past 12 years, Dr. Giridhar Babu has worked as an epidemiologist studying non-communicable diseases. He started out as a medical doctor but was always interested in public health. So, I am Giridhar Babu. I am an epidemiologist by training. I am also a medical doctor. I have great interest in how the factors are determinants of health affect the human populations throughout their life course. So this specialization within epidemiology, which looks at life course epidemiology, which means the processes and factors which influence health through as early as being in the womb of the mother at birth and early childhood and how it influences the entire life course is what we uh, focus. My aim is if we can find out some modifiable factors in either the mother's environment or the entire early childhood environment, can we influence them to prevent non-communicable diseases, especially preventing adolescent obesity or obesity in the young adulthood? A lot of Dr. Babu's recent research has focused on Bengaluru to understand how environmental and socio-economic factors contribute to the health outcomes of citizens, food, water, air. Uh, which means why people are healthy. Is it just because some biology involved in it? Or is it because they exercise well, they eat well, they sleep well? Is it also because they're rich and therefore they can afford many things that keeps them healthy or is it also because of the the society in which they live the country in which they live so all these things do matter 
So the goal, therefore, is to promote the level of health from the poor extreme to better outcome. So I started off with a project understanding the maternal glucose levels while understanding that we knew that by the time women are pregnant, it's already too late, but their hyperglycemia, the higher glucose levels in their blood is one of the major factors for children to become obese. And by the way, we found nearly 17% of the women who attend the public hospitals in Bangalore have gestational diabetes. The tendency is to think that it only affects the affluent, but what we showed was that even among low and middle class, this is as common as in upper socioeconomic status. We asked Dr. Babu about the diets of Bengalurians and whether we are suffering from the lack of something specific. Is there a fix to the diet problem? I think this is the most complex and <clears throat> I don't think anyone knows the answer, but I'll be happy if somebody knows the answers. But I know what the problem is and it's not a single layer of problem, it's multitude. But in the communities that we work, in the slums of Bangalore, in the women who attend the government hospitals, and even among the middle class, uh, I see a whole uh, new range of food uh, practices and the entire shift from uh, towards what we don't know. Uh, just to give you an example, earlier, a daily wage laborer would cook the food in the morning they'll probably have breakfast, they go to work and they come back and they have it in the evening. But now in the slums that we work, we see the women passing on 10 rupee, 20 rupee, you know, to their kids to buy something and eat. And they would go on to do the work. And the kid is more likely to buy a pack of chips or some high density, high calorie food, whatever that is. And these retail outlets are right next to their houses in every low socioeconomic status setting. The access is there, affordability is there. You can buy in two rupees, five rupees, 10 rupees, all the energy rich foods. On the contrary, if you would want to promote healthy food, let's say uh, it's all good to say on paper, there should be high consumption of fruits, vegetables, and we will be surprised if we do survey of all the slums, how many fruit outlets are there or how many vegetable outlets which give healthy quantity of vegetables and fruits at an affordable price. What have we done as a society to promote healthy food? That simply doesn't exist. We simply cannot beat the Coca-Colas and Lay's chips which are percolating in every household and we can't replace those food items from an apple or a banana or a vegetable. This is simply, we have gone past that stage unless some structural changes are done. There are many other factors that affect access and availability of food. There's a lot of targeting that happens of the, of the local butchers, whether it's of beef or poultry, of fish vendors, people who sell eggs. The problem is it comes from a caste and now a growing communal kind of mindset 
where they also seen somehow polluting and impure. And we have lots of areas in Bangalore which refuse to allow shops to be set up. So say there are 10 families which are, are not eating meat and there's one family which eats meat. That one family is rights to access to food is not allowed because they say we don't want the shops in our area. So I think the planning of a city shouldn't be based on you know these kind of cultural or caste or you know communal prejudices, but they should be based on access. Because if if that one family that wants to eat meat can't get it in the nearby area, then they have to travel. The distances people have to travel to access food becomes more. In today's world, how do we arrive at a paradigm for sustainable food consumption that also puts forward health and equity? For Dr. Sylvia, the starting point still remains understanding how food gets grown in the first place and knowing who does the growing. If you're looking at nutrition, you know, the sustainable nutrition, it's it's very important that people in the city, especially the children and young people, they have a much more organic connection with the foods that they eat. So it's important that they don't get used to eating food of a packet but they're unaware of how the food is produced, who is, you know, who is producing the food. They need to meet the farmers, they need to travel out, they need to meet the people who are growing poultry and growing livestock and uh, the dairy farmers. So I think to be sustainable, we need to look at the pockets which are not having access to basic foods. We need to look at diversity, need to encourage uh, nutrient-dense foods across the city using minimum transport, locally grown, not based on prejudices. But we do know that this requires a bigger and more collaborative effort. Who are the other actors who can be mobilized to ensure that the city takes nutrition, diets and food consumption practices seriously? I think everybody is involved in this, right? Because something which people can't live without, just like the clean air or clean water. So. Uh, for that, I think we need the entire whole of society approach where every person, I think the, the biggest stakeholders in this entire exercise is parents, right? I mean, every parent would want the child to be healthy. And then in terms of the school, at least there are many schools in the upper socioeconomic class where they've shifted from the unhealthy food to healthy foods as options in their canteens. But that's just a tiny component of what we need to change. So all the other schools, the distribution of retail outlets in the lower socioeconomic backgrounds, then that has to do with the municipal corporation authorities. So I think there has to be like a major focus on just getting the actors together, understanding each one's role and communicating the need for change and then empowering uh, the society to make those changes. So it is the most complex of all the battles within public health, changing what's on my plate. And Dr. Babu points out that events like pandemics are sort of reminders to all of us to look at our health systems in a more holistic way. Look at our health systems, look at the entire ecosystem as such and reflect where we are heading and what is going to happen to future generations. What do we leave behind? I think this is one such movement, right? I mean, we have gone through major 
problem of the humanity for nearly two years now. What do we do now to make some changes in the future? Or should we just get on to our lives, how we used to be? And so that kind of introspection has to occur. And only then, I think, some change will occur. And once some change starts somewhere, and like such as your initiative of getting people together, getting the sustainability agenda uh, moving forward, I'm sure I, I am very optimistic that once the momentum picks, just to give as the last thought. I mean, in 10 years ago, I would have never thought Bangalore uh, will become the nucleus of positive change. But now you already see uh, Bangalore is being termed as the you know runner's capital of India. There are more running groups in India than any other city. Similarly, for those who do cycling, Bangalore has become the number one uh, city in the entire country. How did this happen? There's no government involved in this. There were no major organizations involved. This happened because people realized a healthy lifestyle is the way forward. But this is just happening in the upper socioeconomic status. Uh, and this uh, has happened at the entire population level in some of the countries which are obese and having high burden of non-communicable diseases. So I think Bangalore should be that role model of influencing all the other sections of the society and becoming a healthier city and then probably again Bangalore will have its brand value in terms of promoting a healthy city model. So, Ajit, what are your favorite dosa places in Bengaluru? So, there are a few places that are really, really hot. So, there is this Guru Kotreshwara Ben Davangere Bende Dosa near Nettalapa Circle. That is probably one of my favorite places in Bangalore, like any kind of place. And the other thing is, uh, you know, the usual myth that uh, all darshini serve sweet sambar, which is not true because if you go to a Bangalore style darshini or some of these Davangere style hotels, uh, there is no sambar like on the menu period. If you go to your uh, Vidyarthi Bhavans or the CTRs also with dosa, nobody serves sambar. So that is also the other uh, myth that got busted for me once I started spending more time in Bangalore. So Ajit can go on and on about doses fried golden crust and that could be very heavy i didn't know something called khali dosa existed which is basically oil less dosa so you go for this like eating soft pillows and there is this hotel called varka hotel in basvanagudi neer dosa cuisine if you will so that uses the the white rinds of watermelon that you usually throw away you kind of use that, grind it with a batter and then make instant doses out of it. With Namma SLN, they serve dosa with uh, dill substituted to dosa.
Thanks for listening. I'm Mansi Pingre. Thanks to Ajit Bhaskar, Dr. Sylvia Karpagam, Dr. Giridhar Babu, Dr. Veena Srinivasan, Anvita Prashant, Maltesh, Anil Kumar, and thanks to all the kids who talk to us about their favorite food. For more information about our work, please go to our website at www.bengalurusustainabilityforum.org. Also follow us on social media at SustainBLR and look out for the Uru mascot, Subhu the Loris.